The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Jesus had something that every one of us wants, every one of us needs. So Epiphany uh, is the season that we're in in the church here, and it's the time that we focus on the life of Jesus as the light of the world. And so the passage that we read this morning from Luke, I think, does a wonderful job of showing us how Jesus did that. Luke tells us that Jesus picked up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and as Jillian read uh, just a moment ago for us, said that the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus knew what his life's meaning was. He knew what his life's purpose was. And it could, everything, I think you could say honestly that everything that Jesus did in his life could be traced back to these words. Everything comes true of the life of Jesus in these words. Now, many of us look out into a world like Jesus did, a world that is both beautiful and full of joy and full of wonderful things and also full of brokenness and suffering and pain and grief. And we also want our lives to have meaning, to have purpose beyond ourselves. We want to make the world a better place. What is our purpose? What, what do we contribute are questions that we often find ourselves asking. Now, if I can jump across a few books of the Bible to the uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, that I, I think Paul is actually talking about this. And it's interesting that the uh, people who put together the lectionary, I think, picked up on this and realized that Paul is actually helping the Corinthian church discover their meaning through the community of Christ, the church. See, the, the Corinthian church was divided on so many things. Almost the entire letter of 1 Corinthians is written to uh, address all of these divisions. They were divided on issues of food, of sex, of, uh, uh, of power, of gifts, of all of these things. And Paul essentially goes through systematically and just takes them on as he... Uh, uh, one after another. And this, so the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians comes to, uh, uh, on, the, on the division of gifts. They were treating some people with certain gifts as more special than others. And, uh, and by doing this, they became focused on certain individuals rather than the whole community. And Paul treats this division with the gospel. He reminds them that because God's spirit is in them, all of them, they are together carrying on the work of Jesus. The work that we read about in Luke. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim 
good news to the poor. This is a communal job. We are to be the light of Jesus in, in the world. This is such a different way of looking at meaning because it's not individually focused. It's communally focused. It's communally discovered. Now, we live in a time and place that puts a lot of value on us as individuals and what we are capable of. Our culture tells us that we, we have to find our meaning in life by ourselves, and we have to live that out no matter what other people say about us. Which sounds freeing at first until we realize that this can quickly become isolating if others don't share our passion. And it also can be crushing if we can't accomplish our hopes and dreams. But the gospel invites us into a different story. The gospel tells us that when we come to Jesus and give ourselves to him, that we will, through his spirit, find ourselves discovering a meaning in community with others that is much more rock-solid than anything our culture can give us. You know, what does it give us? Well, I think I want to focus on three things this morning that Paul tells us in this passage that help us as a community live out the work of Jesus together. The three things are that it, the gospel gives us a unique purpose. The gospel gives us a rock-solid significance. And the gospel gives us a deepening joy in life. So let's look at these three things this morning. So first, uh, a unique purpose. And we'll be focusing on this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians this morning. So Paul helps us recognize that, that God's personal presence, that's the Holy Spirit, uh, is at work in each one of us. I want to just say that again, because we quickly forget that. Paul helps us remember that God's Spirit is at work in every one of us. Look with me at verse 15 where Paul says, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, or free we are all given one spirit to drink. So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So the church in Corinth was a downtown congregation. They probably struggled with parking the same way that we do. They were a port city, which almost guaranteed that it was a diverse city, filled with uh, different uh, temples and cultures and races. And so this community was also made up of different backgrounds and cultures. And yet Paul reminds them very specifically to remember that they, though different, are baptized, brought in, incorporated into the body by, through, one spirit. It's the spirit that unifies them. It's the spirit that is at work in all of them. Now, I know that we live almost 2,000 years later, but we can almost check the same boxes that the Corinthian church can. We struggle with parking, 
right? We are a diverse community. Even though, you know, we long to be more diverse, we, ha- we do have to recognize we are diverse. We have so many different religious backgrounds, occupations, cultures, races. I could go on. But we are all baptized by the same Spirit. We have the same Spirit at work in us. Some of you may question, me? Really? I have the Holy Spirit in me? You should have seen what I did with my kids on Friday. I was not the nicest to them. The Spirit? Really? Um, yes. Yes. One pastor I read this week said that uh, we know that God's Spirit is at work in us if we are drawn toward Jesus. It's that simple. Are you drawn towards Jesus? then the Spirit is doing that. Because it's not on our own smartness or ideas or anything that we are drawn to Jesus other than the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so this means for us that we, by the Spirit, receive a purpose in life beyond ourselves. When we are baptized into the community, incorporated into the community, we become a part of the body of Christ in the world. We belong, right, body and soul in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that unites us to each other as First Hamilton CRC and also to the global church. We are no longer on our own, but we are brought into something much bigger than ourselves and much better than anything that we can do on our own. And so Paul goes on in this same vein in verse 15, and he points out some of their struggles. He says, says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. And he goes on and says that God has placed the parts of the body where they should be. What Paul is saying here is that in in the Corinthian church, certain groups of people looked at the community and they opted themselves out. They said, because I'm not like this, I don't belong. Because I don't look like that, I don't belong. Because I don't talk like that, I don't belong. And Paul tells them that they couldn't be further from the truth. Now, we do the same thing. You know, perhaps we have different reasons for this. You know, maybe some of us look at, at this church specifically. Maybe you've been a member of this church for a while. You look at this church and you get intimidated by some people with certain gifts. And you opt out of contributing. You think, I don't have anything to offer here. Or I can't do it as good as they can. Or I won't be as good as that person at this thing. Or we think that we're too old to contribute. And so we push ourselves to the sideline. We opt out and say, I've done my time. I'm no longer needed. It's up to other people. This week I read an article about a youth pastor who discovered her calling to ministry at the age of 15. You know how? An 80-year-old woman told her, I noticed that kids are drawn to you. How does that make you feel? That 
is what it means to contribute in unique ways to the body of Christ in different times in our lives. How many people who find themselves retired or older or who can't serve in the ways that they used to serve can do other things that contribute to the body of Christ? All of us can. Why? Because we are all baptized by one spirit and given a purpose in life beyond ourselves. God is bringing together the different parts of the body. Who are you to opt yourself out? When we do this, we're squishing the work of the spirit in our church and in the world. Because if you confess Jesus as Lord, the spirit is at work in you. And you have a unique purpose to live out through the church. Now let's, secondly, let's look at not just the purpose that we receive through the gospel in the community of Christ, but look at the significance that we receive. So Paul shows us that our significance doesn't come from our specific gifts or how we use those gifts. It comes from God. In verse 21, Paul urges the Corinthians to see that the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. One uh, commentary I was reading this, this week said, imagine if we were all, all of our, our bodies were just made up of heads. And I couldn't help but think of our Christian Reformed tradition that tends to value being heads. And I imagine this massive ball of heads rolling down the road as the, as the Reformed tradition. We need feet. On the contrary, Paul says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And so, as I've alluded to before, the Corinthian church was giving special significance to certain gifts over others. And those people were given special attention. And Paul tells them that they could not be further from the truth of the gospel because God has put together the parts. Have you ever gone to see an orchestra or a choir perform before? And imagine if you showed up to your seat and you looked out on the stage and you're going to listen to Messiah and you saw a hundred bass voices standing on the stage. I imagine you'd be very disappointed. Or imagine you sat down to see an orchestra and you saw 30 tubas on the stage. That would be horrendous. There, there has to be a plurality of voices and a plurality of instruments, all following the same conductor, all making music in the same beat. This is what Paul reminds the Corinthian church. This is what God is doing. And we can so easily fall into the same problems as they did. We can overemphasize certain people or gifts over others. I invite you to think critically for a moment about yourself. Seriously, think about yourself and think about our church. What are some of the gifts that we tend to overemphasize? To celebrate more than others. What are some of the things that our culture tends to celebrate? And do we find ourselves in the church following along with these things? 
It's interesting, I find, in this passage that Paul takes this even a step further, and he says not just that all—it's so interesting—not just that all gifts are equal, but he even almost pushes it as far as to say the ones that are neglected are more important. And, And this also kind of follows the way that God works. God is always aligning himself with the poor, with the marginalized, with the outcast in society. And I wonder if it's the same thing in the church. As we have eyes for gifts that our culture doesn't necessarily recognize as significant and important. And what would happen if we as the church recognized these and, and elevated them to the, to the place that they should be? Wouldn't that make us a more well-rounded force for good in the world than anything that our culture can do? I think that God's Spirit is doing something in the hearts of all of us, and we, we, could, rec- we could do a better job of recognizing this. But more than that, what I want to tell us this morning is that this, this way of looking at, at, at gifts shows us where our significance comes from. Let me ask you, what makes you special? What makes you somebody? What makes you able to look into the mirror and feel good about yourself? Is it the way that you look? The gift that you have? The job that you've earned? The position on the team? The friends that surround you? If, if it's one of those things, then we're operating out of an earned significance. Something that we do. But the gospel tells us that our significance is, is, is deeper than that and outside of ourselves. Because we receive significance from God, who loves all his people, across the spectrums of gifting. This means that there's no pecking orders in church. There's none that should be celebrated over others. All are equal and significant and contribute to the work of Jesus in the world. Now, let's lastly look at a deepening joy. Because I can imagine that when we look at community like this, it can lead to a bit of a critical lens of the church where we can look at the church and see its flaws, see its brokenness. And we can see the challenge of living out this countercultural community. Because the gospel does call us to a way of living that is, is far more beautiful than uh, what we often see in the world, but it's also far more difficult, far more challenging. And I think Paul captures this challenge of living in community like this when he says that there should be no divisions in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other he goes on he says if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it now to do what paul says here takes not just an incredible amount of sacrifice, but a disinterest in ourselves. Notice how Paul says not just that we shouldn't uh, just care for those who are suffering. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, care for those who are suffering and 
give a high five to those who are uh, honored. No, no, no. He says, suffer, those who, are, who suffer, suffer with them. Those who uh, are honored, uh, rejoice with them. Anyone who has had the opportunity to walk along someone who is in the midst of suffering knows that it takes a tremendous amount of time, it takes a tremendous amount of emotional energy, and it takes a tremendous amount of love to suffer with them, to take on their suffering as your own. In the same way, it takes an incredible self-forgetfulness to rejoice with somebody who is honored, right? to genuinely, without any envy in our hearts, say to the guy who wins the award that we wanted to win, good job, you deserved it. I'm so happy for you. How can we do this? And I think that the only way is when we remind ourselves over and over and over again how we are actually brought into a countercultural community like this. How are we brought into the life of Christ? Our meaning in life comes not out of anything that we produce by ourselves, but it comes through Christ, through the crucified Christ. And so when we see that our purpose is not something that we can produce on our own, but is given to us because Jesus went to the cross and redeemed our hearts and our minds and invites us into his work in the world, that's when we experience the freedom of community. Because it's not anything that we have to muster up in our own power. It's something that we receive. In the same way, when we see that we are significant, that we are important, that we are the apple in God's eye, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ, crucified on the cross, he made himself insignificant, in the eyes of the world, so that we could become significant to God. It shows us how we can lose interest in ourselves and not lose our significance to the ones, to the one who it really matters with. We, we again, receive the freedom of community. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, I think I want to urge us to see the cross as a place of grace that, that, that deepens our joy in life because we receive through Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection a purpose and a significance that runs much deeper and is much more secure than we could receive any other way. And so that frees us to give ourselves to this community in ways we couldn't. Because as we read in Nehemiah, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, days like today where we can gather with your people, where we can sing, where we can worship, where we can hear from you. 
Help us to hear the challenge of this, uh, this passage as we struggle to live out the calling of the church in the world. To be the hands and the feet and the brains and the, the heart and the legs and the arms and the shoulders and all the other body parts of Jesus in the world. And God, we know that we need your spirit at work in each one of us. Strengthening us, encouraging us, and bringing us together. And so I pray this morning that you would fill us with your spirit. But above all, Father, may we find joy in the cross. A joy that, that helps us to let go of ourselves. And that we may find our identity in, in you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.